Bob is a highly gifted prophet and teacher and leader with character, with a depth of character that you'll recognize when he comes up. Come on up, Bob. And um, that's one of the reasons we love him so much. And I just want to welcome him. Let's stand and welcome him, okay? And there it is. All right. Here's a problem. I'm trying out these new preaching glasses. I'm not sure they're going to work out or not. So <laughs> I had a motorcycle accident last year. One of the residuals is a, I'm, I'm not saying it's age. It's my motorcycle accident that has caused me now to have to give in to uh, wearing these. So thank you so much for that kind introduction, Van. And um, I think this, is this my first time on a Sunday morning here? Second. Wow, that's even a better honor. It's like they bring it once, they, it's like we'll give you a shot, you know, and they bring it back the second time. And either it was so good, like we're, we trust you now, or it was so bad, we're going to give you another chance. So I'm not sure which one. Um, but I liken it to this. I, you know, for the last 20 years, I've mostly been an itinerant, even though I was part of a, a local church, and I always have been a local church guy from the time I was a week old. I was forced to be. Um, but... You know, when I go to conferences, it's sort of like going out to dinner with a group of friends like we did last night. They took me out to such a great dinner. Um, I don't want to give a shout out to the restaurant, but I don't want to get the name wrong, but uh, so good. And, but, you know, coming on a Sunday morning is like coming to your house for dinner. And it's just different, right? So there's some people you'll go out to, to a restaurant with them, but... Uh, you don't want them at your house. <laughs> like they just don't know when to leave. <laughs> or they don't know, like, you know, don't take your shoes off or take your shoes off. Or, you know, the house rules. You know what I'm saying? Because different houses have different rules. You know, my wife's big on taking your shoes off because of the wood floors. And, uh, and um, that's cool, you know. I'm the one who sweeps them, by the way. And, and she would admit that. It's my morning ritual, coffee, hang out with my dog and God and sweep the wood floors. So that's, that's just, I like to do it. But you got to take your shoes off to come to my house. You, however, should wear shoes when you come to church. <laughs> I just did that for all you moms who wanted to say it. All right, there you go. So, so thank you for inviting me to your, to your, to your family table today. It's, it's an honor to be here. And I do have a great word for you to share. What time are we here tonight? We're here tonight. 6.30. So I want to invite you back. I'll have a little bit more time to do personal ministry and um, maybe these glasses will work better then, so we'll see what happens. But maybe I'll try to take them off, and I could see you better. We'll see how the sermon goes. We'll see what happens. <laughs> um, I have a couple books, and I'm going to uh, hang out a little bit afterwards. If you want to get a copy, I'd love to just write something nice in there. Um, but I'm really passionate about how God speaks, and it's, it's always been a passion for me. Um, even when I was afraid of it as a kid, uh, when God spoke to me, I, I was really scared because I didn't know it was God. Um, I thought it was the devil, but it was really God telling me what the devil was saying so that I could say what God wanted to say because sometimes the devil says stuff and God lets you hear it because he wants you to say the opposite thing. And Jesus had that happen to him, made him more powerful because once he understood the devil's a liar and the word of God is a truth, it, it made him very powerful. And once you learn the word of God, especially in the days and time we live in, it's called, this book is called The Roar, God's Sound in a Raging World. I wrote this in 2013, and it's appropriate for now, because isn't the world raging right now? 
And we need more than ever the voice of God to cut through the chatter, the clutter of social media, of media media, of whatever's going on out there. And we need to have God's sound cut through like he did in creation when he said, Adam, where are you? And it comes from Genesis 3. The roar is the sound of the Lord in the cool of the day because the day has a sound. The cool of the day is the spirit of the day. And the sound of the Lord cuts through the spirit of the day. And today we have a spirit of accusation, intimidation, manipulation, all those Asians, right? And God has a sound that cuts through that. And you need to understand that sound. So um, those things are back there as well as... um, if you guys, you remember these things we used to have back in 2010, they're called CD players. If you still have one, please help me out here because I had planned that I would, re, I would totally sell out my inventory of my CDs of my, my wife's music throughout 2020. And of course, I had 50 meetings canceled, so I didn't have it. So I still have a pretty good inventory, but they're really good stuff, very anointed. My wife has a, a hymns. A CD called Take Me In. She has an instrumental, which is incredible, called The River. And um, she's got a children's CD that I call the Dream CD because kids get healed of nightmares. Your kid has nightmares or anything like that. So anyway, those are back there. Um, I, I believe in the resources because we have to be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And um, there's a little thing. Did they put that connection thing up there? Can you put that back up there? Because I'd love to help you to grow in the spirit. So we use all of our social media to combat the fake news of the world and just bring inspiration. So if you want to connect, one of the best things that the shutdown brought us, what did it bring us? Touchless menus in the restaurant. Isn't it great? You just go like that with your phone and all of a sudden you see the menu. So if you want to uh, connect with us and by social media, we have some online webinars that we do. We just love to connect with you and, and help encourage you in your walk. And we love this church. We do want to stay connected, man. And we love to make a deposit. I believe today and tonight there'll be a deposit. So come back at 6.30 and um, looking forward to it. All right. If you have your Bibles, turn with me uh, to Galatians <clears throat> chapter 4. This is one of my life verses. And I think it will help us to understand something. If you went through a period of time uh, last year where you felt like you were disrupted, where you felt like things you expected to happen didn't happen, where you felt like things that you didn't expect to happen happened, um, I think that this message will speak to you. This message is called, When God When. When God When. And it came from a conversation I had with the Lord. I'm going to read Galatians 4, verses 1 through 4 first, and I'm going to tell you about that conversation and what I learned about God that I hope we can learn together today. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but he is under guardians and stewards until the time set or appointed by the Father. Even so, we were children... We were in bondage under the elements of the world, but when the fullness of time had come, everybody say fullness of time. That's a very interesting phrase that I want to point out to you, and I want to hopefully define a little bit for you. When the fullness of time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So there was a fullness of time that had to come for Jesus to be released into the earth. However, Paul here in Galatians is actually equating the fullness of time to Jesus to you and I 
being given something as an inheritance as sons and daughters of God, that there are things that we own that we have not yet accessed. There are things that are available that we have not yet acquired. Healing. <laughs> Forgive salvation, sanctification, holiness. Like we are, the kingdom is now and yet not yet. That's a good vineyard statement. You should know that, right? And so there are things that God has provided for you, you have not possessed. And that's what this is talking about. And so it's not just talking about Jesus, but Jesus, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So to prophetically look at the scripture, we have to understand that there was a culmination of things that needed to happen in order for Jesus to come into the fullness of time and be sent into the world. And I believe that there is a fullness of time that is necessary in order for us to step into things that God has planned for us. And there has been a disruption of the time-space continuum in the season that we live in. There's been a disruption of time. There are things that should have happened for you that didn't happen. There are things that should not have happened to you that did happen to you. Jobs that were lost, perhaps. Family members that, was, that were lost. I lost, my, I have three sisters. Two of them lost their husbands to complications to the virus. We did not expect that. One of them was April of 2020, and the other was just this past month, actually, in July. So I have two sets of nephews and nieces that, without a father, looking to me sort of as the, the oldest uncle, you know, as a, as a voice in this time, and I'm like, what do I have to say? What I have to say is that even though we have not possessed Everything that Jesus provided, there is a fullness of time that is coming. And when we're in moments of disruption and delays, we can ask the question, when, God, when? And has anybody ever asked God that question? Anybody ever got an answer to that question? <laughs> I never had. I asked that question for three years about one specific promise in my life. It had to do with a promise about going to nations. And, and I was literally in a dead-end job in between like ministry experiences. I had left pastoring, but I was not, was not full-time traveling yet. And I was like, when are you going to fulfill this promise of sending me to nations? I asked that question for three years. Did not get an answer. So after three years, I decided I'm going to ask God another question because that's, you know, what you have to learn as a kid. By the way, if there's anybody here listening that's a child, when your parents don't ask a question, just keep, don't keep asking the same one. Ask a question that they will answer. Like, what are, when are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? That's going to get you put in the back seat. All right, bro? Like, don't do that. And in, and in my day, the back seat was the back back seat because we had station wagons where the back seat was facing backwards. You guys, that's like torture. That was, that was actually, they should bring those back actually. That was actually a really good discipleship tool. Station wagons need to come back with the reverse seat so that when your kid, now it's all like, oh, just come in with your nice little car seat. And everything's nice for kids now. When we, had, when we were kids, they didn't have nice things. They, you know where we sat when I was a kid? In the middle between my parents, in the front row. I would be the first one through the windshield if we had an accident. You know what I'm saying? You know, and then it's like, oh, buckle up, buckle up, buckle up. 
I was sitting in between my two sisters for 25 hours on the way to Florida from Pennsylvania on the hump seat. You know what the hump seat is? It's like the middle seat where your knees are shoved up into your chest. And you're saying, when are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? And finally, the father, my father goes, well, you know, instead of when we get there, we, we will get there when we get there, which is the answer I got for the first two hours. And then uh, the next one was like, get in the back now. Get in the back, son. So with God, I asked him for three years, and I didn't get an answer. So I asked him, why won't you answer the question when? You know what he said? Immediately he answered. I felt like he answered. I was sitting at my desk at my legal pad where I was taking my journal notes, and he said, the question doesn't make sense to me. I don't live in when. I live in now. Which is profound, but I still know what that meant. Like, I'm like, what? <laughs> he said, I created time. I don't live in it. Think about that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and now the earth was void and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And God said, let there be light. And God separated the light from darkness, and, and the light he called day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and morning the first day. The first thing God created, day, time. Time's a created construct. God doesn't, isn't subjected to it. He's an authority over it. And so he said... Here's what the Lord said. In fact, I'm going to show you that I can shift you into the right time. And here's what I wrote in my journal. You're going to see the number 4-4. Four, four. Galatians 4-4. Four, four. He said, you're going to see the number 4-4 four, four repeatedly over and over again until you understand and believe that I am putting you in the time you need to be in. It's your fullness of time because you're a son and I'm sending you to the world. It's your fullness of time because you're a daughter and I'm sending you to the world. It's your fullness of time and, it's, and I'm giving you the keys to what you already own but you haven't accessed. So I was like, okay, now I don't know how you are in your conversations with God. I was sort of like, and it's not because I don't believe God is talking. It's, believe, it's because I don't know if I'm hearing God or if I'm hearing myself. So I'm like, okay, let's see. I wrote it in my journal. I'm like, okay, we'll see. And it's not like, we'll see if you're going to really do what you say. It's more like, we're going to see if I really heard what I think I heard, right? And it's from you. Because let's face it, when we think we hear God, we don't always know. No matter how skilled you are at this, no matter how long you've been uh, a believer or read it, it's, it's, it's not art. I mean, it's not science. It's art. It's like, I think I heard God. And let's be humble like that. So I remember I was leaving for um, a ministry trip. I was heading from... I was, I was flying from Hartford to Baltimore because I was going to Delaware for a weekend set of meetings. And I got, I was back in the old days when I, <laughs> when I flew Southwest. You know, and, I, and, and I know, you know, it's, Southwest is, is a good airline, but then you get into coming to the kingdom. <laughs> so, uh, and, and, and it was, I didn't fly often, so, I, you know, Southwest, you just get there in line when you can, and you get a seat, and I, I, I got in my seat, it was way in the back of the plane, and I look at my boarding pass, I sit in my seat, I remember sitting in the row, and I look at my boarding pass, and it says row 44, and I'm like, oh, coincidence, and then I look at the flight number, and it's flight 44, and now I'm like, hmm, this is getting curious, what does this mean? I, I get off the plane, the pastor picks me up, he drives me, it's about a half an hour, 45 minutes from the airport to uh, where I'm staying at the hotel, getting ready for the weekend set of meetings, and um, as we get off the exit to go to the hotel, I look up and I see the exit number is 44, and I'm just going, hmm, 
hmm, fullness of time, fullness of time, what does this mean? I get to the hotel, he says to me, hey, I'm gonna go check you in, hang out here, I'll get the key, and then I'll, I'll bring your stuff in with you. And he gets out of the car, and I look at the clock, and I'm telling you the honest truth, this isn't just a good preacher thing, it's 444 on the clock. And I'm, and I'm literally like, what is going on? So I, I go to my room, and I'm just preparing for the night meeting, because I have a night meeting, and I get a call from the front desk, and the front desk says, there is a gentleman here this, to see you. And I said, I wasn't expecting anyone. They said, well, he said, his name is uh, Joel. And they told me his name. And I said, oh, I know who he is. I'll be right down. He was a, a guy from South Africa who was an evangelist that lived about two hours from this church. He had visited this church before when I was there. And I had prophesied to him and prayed for him. And he was encouraged. And so he came to see me. So I said, tell him I'll be down. I, wa I, I walked down. And Joel was there, and he said, Bob, I had to come and see you because today I was praying for your meetings, and the Lord gave me a vision of you. And my first reaction when people say that to me is sort of like, let me prepare myself because if it's good, I, I want to be able to be like, oh, yes. But if it's not good, I want to be able to go like, oh, yes, you know? <laughs> so like no facial expressions because, you know, I'm from Philly. We don't really have a filter, and so our facial expressions are like, you know? So... So if you know anybody from Philly or just watch the Eagles, you know, you'll just know. And so, <clears throat> so he said, I, I had a vision of you this morning and you were, you had a gun in your hand and it was a Magnum 44. And he goes, I don't know what that means to you. I said, Hmm, I got to think about that. And I was thinking about that. And what I felt like it, the Lord was saying was that, you know, when you enter into your fullness of time, you actually begin to have the authority. I'll give you a spiritual weapon to shoot people into their fullness of time. Like the prophetic word, the word of the Lord is sharper than a two-edged sword. That's just a metaphor for the ancient days. It's a Magnum 44. <laughs> and we'll, I know, you know, this would play better in Texas than up here north. But I'm just like, I can't, in Connecticut, I can't preach this at all because I'll get arrested. You know, you're not allowed to own guns up there. So... The fullness of time. Interestingly enough, I studied this out a little bit. You know what a whole note is in music? Four beats. Do you know that there's four directions to a compass? The fullness of the earth is four. If you look at it in, in science, in music, in art, that the number four comes up and it always comes up in this place of like completeness, fullness. It means fullness. And so it's really cool how God speaks. It's just a metaphor, but I, I get encouraged about that kind of stuff. And there are things that in our lives that God has planned for us that we don't experience because we don't actually recognize them and step into them. And I want to talk to you about how you can, how you can move past prophetic delays and step into prophetic promises. That's what I want to talk to you about. Things that should have happened that didn't happen, things that happened that shouldn't have happened, that put you in a place where you feel like, I'm not sure when or what God is doing. And I want you to be able to access things. And let's look at someone who was, who was able to walk through a period of delay and navigate this. We're gonna look at Daniel. And Daniel, to me, is, is a, you know, if you know the story of Daniel in the Bible, he's a dreamer. And he not only had the ability to understand dreams, he dreamed himself, but also he was able to dream for his nation. His greatest dream was that his nation would be restored because Daniel was a young man. And it's the story, when you read it, it sounds like, wow, 
how great that God used Daniel in Babylon. But you have to understand that Nebuchadnezzar, the king that he served, actually came to the city where he lived in Judea and Jerusalem, and he ransacked the city. He first sieged it until people were starving to death, and then he ransacked it. He destroyed the temple. He took Daniel as a young man and made him a slave. He took him as a child slave, separated him from his family. So imagine the trauma of watching your city, your home destroyed, perhaps your parents killed or at least put into bondage because they were taken captive. The king, was, his eyes were plucked out and he was led into captivity. So Daniel watched all this happen. And then as a child, he's taken all the way from Jerusalem to Iraq, to Babylon, and he's brought across perhaps the water or even worse, the desert with other children that are trafficked, separated from their children, or separated from their parents. Imagine the trauma that he experienced being disrupted in this way. And Daniel is now in Babylon and he has established himself as a wise man because he was able to uh, understand the king's dreams. Also very academically astute, understood different languages. He could speak Babylonian. He could probably speak you know, ancient Hebrew. He could also translate angelic languages, which tells us you could be a seer and not be stupid. <laughs> like you can, like you can be supernatural and, and not be weird. I mean, you, you, look, let's face it. We're Christians. We're weird anyway. We believe in a God you can't see and we believe he's real and he's with us all the time. So let's just embrace that weirdness. Okay. But doesn't mean you have to act strange to be supernatural. Daniel didn't. Daniel was a guy who could talk to a king and talk to an angel. He could interpret dreams, but he could interpret ancient Babylonian. He could sit with a wise man who was a, a soothsayer, and he could sit with a strategist, and he could talk to them about how to bring the nation into a better place. Daniel was a genius. I think he's, a, he's pretty much a good uh, paradigm for like this couple that was standing here, right? And so Daniel is in Babylon, and something happens. He's still praying, he's still believing that his city will be restored, that the temple will be rebuilt. He has a dream of the future that hasn't happened. It looks like the opposite of it. It's been disrupted, it's been delayed. And so in, in Daniel chapter two, we see that the king has a dream and he comes to the wise men of Babylon and they cannot interpret his dream. And so he decides, if you can't develop my dream, if you can't fulfill my dream, I'm gonna destroy your dreams, I'm gonna kill you all. And so he comes to Daniel. Now you have to understand, Daniel is living with his uh, three frat bros, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And uh, they got this fraternity going on. I mean, it's, it's wild parties, angels are visiting them. They're having open heaven dreams. The food's not that great. Rice and beans, that's all it is. It's pretty good, though, if you're Latino. It's like, you know, that's awesome. <laughs> but, but these guys are hanging out in their house. The, the captain of the guard area comes to the door, knocks on the door, ready to, to kill them, said, I'm here to kill you guys because the wise man can't interpret the king's dreams. Daniel says, wait a second. Give us one night. Give us one night to interpret the king's dreams dreams. Now look at what Daniel chapter 2 verse 23 says. At the end of this night, Daniel prays a prayer giving thanks to God because he was able to get the meaning of the king's dreams. It says, you have made known to us the dream of the 
king. You have made known to us. Daniel spent all night praying. He spent all night interceding. He spent all night fasting. He spent all night. And the Bible says in, in Daniel chapter 2 that in the night, God revealed the vision to Daniel. In the night, God brought revelation to Daniel. When things are written like that in the Bible, they're not written by accident. It's, it's telling us that it's in the darkest moments that illumination comes. It's in the darkest moments of life that revelation is revealed to us because God is looking for us not to get the answer to our questions, but to become the person who seeks the person who is the answer, and that is him because he's the answer. What was revealed to Daniel, it says, you made known to us, you revealed to us, the word revelation, you made known to us the dream of the king. But if you read the entire prayer, what happens in the night isn't just that you get a revelation of what, what the future will be, but you get a revelation of who holds the future. Because there's three things that he says in his prayer. If you read Daniel chapter two, he said, for God, you're the God of wisdom and power. You're the God who changes times and seasons. You're the God who changes times and seasons. You're the God who raises up kings and who brings them down. The greatest revelation that Daniel got in the night season of his life wasn't the fact that there was a future. The greatest revelation was there was someone that was holding the future. When there's a, an ungodly governmental leadership in charge, the greatest revelation isn't how to fix what the ungodly leadership is doing. The greatest revelation is who's in charge. The God of wisdom and power. The God who changes times and seasons. The God who raises up kings and deposes them. Do you understand? Daniel is in Babylon and he becomes an influential person. Not because he gets to know the dream of the king, but because he gets to know who the real king is. And that's what's going to take us into our future is because we know the dream of the king. I know it's hard to understand what's going on in the world, what's fake news, what's real news, what's made up news, what's right news, what's wrong news. I don't, I don't, I don't understand it myself. I don't understand how to read a study. I read all the studies. I do, every time I read another study, I change my opinion another time. And people are asking me, what is the Lord telling you to do? The Lord's telling me to just be still and know that he is God. Because listen, I don't know what's going on in the world, but I know who is the king of the world. I know who has wisdom and power. I know who holds the times and the seasons and can change them in a moment. Who raises up kings and deposes them. And here's the first thing when you're in a season of delay and disruption. Develop the dream of others and God will work on your dreams. Daniel doesn't even pray about his dream of leaving Babylon. He doesn't pray at his dream of getting another king. He doesn't pray on his dream about going back to Jerusalem. He just says, God, these are the people you put in my life right now. Let me, give, let me sow into them. Let me develop what they're doing. And when you develop the dream of people around you, God works on your dream. Daniel becomes, I think, a perfect example of someone that we can look to in the time in which we live because we are at a moment of time where things have been disrupted, maybe even destroyed. Some people say, when are we gonna go back to normal? You guys look like you're normal, but you're not normal. 
because normal left the building in 2020 and normal's not coming back. You can put your smile on your face, take your mask off, but normal's not coming back because when we say we wanna get back to normal, what we're saying is we wanna get back to what's predictable. We wanna get back to a new constant. And can I tell you something? We can't predict what's coming next. We're in times that are unpredictable times, but we have a God who holds the future. That's what gives us hope, because I know the plan that I have for you, says the Lord, a plan to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. That's Jeremiah 29, 11. That is the prophetic word that was given to Daniel's generation when they were led into captivity. That was the promise that was given when their temple was burning, when their houses were destroyed, when their families were separated, when their culture was disrupted. I will give you a future and a hope. And so Daniel finds himself in this moment, and you would think when you do the right things, the right things would happen to you. But actually, God does change the king. He puts a new king in named Darius, and Darius actually likes Daniel. Daniel's got a lot of favor with Darius. But, can, but, but you need to understand that sometimes when you experience favor, you'll also experience a fight. Paul said, a great opportunity for the gospel opened up to me, and with it, great opposition. Every opportunity brings opposition. Remember that when you go where you're going. <laughs> That's why we prayed for you, because with every opportunity becomes, comes great opposition. Why? Because you're taking territory you've never taken before. Someone's got to be the person to displace that. Someone's got to be the person to plow through. Someone's got to be the person to take that territory. So God's called you to go into places that the kingdom has never possessed before. So don't be surprised when you experience opposition. Daniel gets favor, he gets a little fight that comes with the favor. In chapter six, King Darius is made king, but there's certain guys that don't like Daniel because of the favor on his life, and they begin to talk about him and plot against him, and they convince the king to pass a law. And the law was no one can, work, no one can pray to anybody else except for you, King Darius, because you're so amazing, you're so great, you have the best hair, you have the best smell, you're the best guy, anybody, everybody should pray to you. And the king's like, yeah, I do smell good. You know, I am having a pretty good hair day. And you know what? People should pray to me. And so, verse, verse 9, King Darius signed a written decree. The decree was, you can't pray to anyone but him. And now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, now look, let's just stop there. A written decree. It seems like every other day, there's another written decree, Right? And we only see it if we're on social media, and they only show us the ones that want to, you know, make us excited and get angry and, and stuff like that. I'm just saying, there's going to be written decrees that we're not going to like. And how we respond to the decrees of culture, how we respond to the decrees of society. And I'm not just talking about politics here. I'm talking about culture. There are written decrees right now that are trying to come into our culture. How we respond will determine where we put our worship this is a battle, this is not a battle just about culture and sin. This is a battle about who is God. And, and let me tell you who your God is. Your God is who you give your attention to and who you worship, right? And so what we have here is Daniel, and he is under an unjust decree. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. This verse right here, this is probably all you need for today. 
This, this writing is genius. This is, not, this is not written in just a form where you're just like, oh, what a nice story. This is, he went to his upstairs room. Where do you go when injustice comes against you? You go to your upstairs room. <laughs> you go higher in your thinking. You go higher in your perspective. You go higher above the injustice. You go higher above what's come against you. You go to your upstairs room. And then he looked out his window, which is open toward Jerusalem. What's Jerusalem? It's the promise. He's got his window open toward the promise. He's got his window open toward Jerusalem because the direction of your vision will determine the the perspective of your worship, the destination of your worship. What you look at is what you're worshiping. And if you're looking at the problem, guess what? You're gonna start to worry instead of worship. And worry is worship. You say, worry is worship? Oh yeah. What you magnify is what you worship. Worship is the magnification of God. And when I magnify a characteristic of God, I worship it, it actually allows me to access it. When I say Jehovah Jireh, my provider, I'm worshiping him, I'm magnifying his provision part, and it allows me to access who he is because he, he's here, he's present. In our, in our help in a time of need. And so worry becomes worship. And Daniel opens up a window of worship. That's the second point here, is we need to open up a window of worship. What does that mean? Look at what Daniel did. He opened up the window toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God. Stop. Just as he had done before. Before what? Before the injustice before the decree, before the lockdown, before the shutdown, before the mask up, before the vaccine, just as he had done before. Don't let stupid stuff steal your worship. Don't let stupid people steal your worship. I know I said the word stupid a lot in this sermon. Please forgive me if it's a harsh word for you. My wife doesn't like when I use it. She was not here though, so. Although she's still back there in my head saying, stop saying stupid. That's why I had to bring it up. Because I was talking, I wasn't talking to you. I was talking back to my wife who's back there going, stop saying stupid. I'm like, no, I like that word right now. Because sometimes I let stupid stuff steal my worship. I let traffic steal my worship. I let people steal my worship. I let social media steal my worship. I let sleeplessness steal my worship. I let stuff steal my worship that shouldn't. And I want to tell you that if Daniel could worship as he could before, you need to worship just like you did before. Worship like you did before you were masked up, before you were shut down. Worship like you did before they beat you, before they broke you. Worship like you did before they trash-talked you. Worship like you did, Daniel, before they set you up and brought you down. Worship like you did before they lied about you, before they spoke about you, before they ripped you off. Worship like you did before. Worship, worship, worship. How are we going to get out of this thing? How are we going to see the promise? We're going to keep our window open toward the promise. We're going to stop worshiping the problem and we are going to worship the Lord. Here's the last thing. Pray. Develop the dream of others. Why? What is that? God reveals his secrets to his servants, the prophets. That's a statement that says when you serve other people, God will reveal things to you. Servanthood is the secret, the skeleton key for revelation. 
And so Daniel serves and he gets revelation and then he, he worships God and he looks toward his promise and then something happens, he begins to pray because he, sees, he feels a shift happening. And you know that old saying, pray until something happens, push. That's what Daniel does. He's, it, look at Daniel chapter nine, verses two and three. It's three chapters later, but it's the exact same experience. As soon as he gets out of the lion's den, as soon as he gets out of the lion's den, and I didn't even cover that part of the story because he was already out of the lion's den the moment he opened his window to worship. The lion's den was just an addendum. It's not even part of the story. It wasn't even a big deal because as soon as he opened his window to worship, the lion's den was conquered. The king prayed for him. His enemies started to pray for him. Daniel 9, 2 and 3. In the first year of King Darius. Who? King who? Same guy. Same year. Same year. The unjust decree was made. In the same year, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in desolation of Jerusalem. And I set my face toward the Lord to make requests by prayer, supplication, with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Real quick, I know we're running out of time. Pray, what does that mean? It means just pray. That's what it means. Pray how? Pray when? Pray what? Praying now, in the first year of King Darius, in the same year that he chose vision over victimhood, he prayed and he got understanding. In the same year that he chose worship over warfare, he got revelation. In the same year he chose forgiveness over fighting, he got favor. Pray now, pray before the answer comes. Pray before it looks right. Pray before you think you even have the words to pray. Pray something, pray now. The second thing is we see pray the future. He said, I, I understood the word of the Lord through Jeremiah. You remember Jeremiah? I know the plan that I have for you, says the Lord. Jeremiah 29, 11, but go back to one verse, Jeremiah 29, 10. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years is completed in Babylon, I will revisit you. I will perform my good word toward you. I will cause you to return to this place for I know the plan I have for you. God already spoke the end from the beginning. God already said what the end of the story was, and Daniel just had to pray what God already said. Sometimes it's not getting a new revelation, it's just getting a revelation of what God is saying now and praying the future, not praying the past. And so Daniel begins to pray the future, and then I love this, and then I set my face toward the Lord to make requests by prayer, supplication, fasting, sackcloth, ashes. And that's, that can get in a whole, like a whole sermon, like, okay, what's, what's prayer? What's supplication? What's supplication? That's a big word. What's supplication? What's fasting? What, how do you fast? What do you, what do you eat? Sackcloth. I just say, just pray the kitchen sink, man. Just pray. Does anybody know what a kitchen sink prayer? It's like when you don't know what to pray, you just pray everything. You pray every scripture you've ever memorized in your life. You pray crying, you pray snotting, you pray shouting, you pray screaming. Like, you sound like you're a crazy person. That's when you want your kids gone, your husband away. You just wanna be able to close the windows and be able to shout because sometimes when you don't know what to pray, some people say, pray in the spirit. I say, pray ugly. <laughs> That's what I said. Just pray ugly. Because sometimes you got to get ugly in your prayers. You got to get messy. You got to get the mascara running. And I, and I don't even wear mascara. Sometimes it runs. I'm just saying. 
You think this is profound here, but Daniel's just like, I, I don't, I'm just gonna pray every way I know how to pray. I'm gonna pray on my head, I'm gonna pray on my knees, I'm gonna pray on my back, I'm gonna pray in my basement, I'm gonna pray. I'm just gonna keep praying, praying everywhere. I'll pray in my car, I'll pray in the traffic, I'll pray over the bridge, I'll pray at the airport, I'll pray in the plane, I'll pray, pray in my hotel. Why? Because when you're at that point where God's about to do something, it feels like you don't have anything left and you just gotta push, pray until something happens. I remember with I, my first child, my wife got to that moment, it, it's time to push, you know? And, and usually, like, you've done, you're, you're worn out. You've got nine months of this stuff, and you got labor. And we get to that point, I remember looking at my wife, still looked awesome. Her hair was perfect, her makeup was perfect. Make sure you tell her that, and then you see her. I said that. The doctor said, Kim, it's time to push. And I remember looking at her, and she said, I can't. I got nothing left. I, I can't. She just said, I can't. And the doctor said this. He said, Kim, use the energy that you're using to say I can't and just push. And I was like, that's going to make a great sermon. I'm like, I'm, talking, I'm writing that down. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, that's, that's just the curse of living with a preacher. Just say everything's a sermon illustration. So like your kids, are, everything they say is going to make it to a sermon, right? Everything your wife does. Just, just know, if you marry a preacher, you will be in a sermon every single week, okay? But it is a good sermon. Just take the energy that you're saying, I can't, and push. I know the plan that I have for you, says the Lord. Plan to prosper you, not to harm you. Give you a future and a hope. Stand with me to your feet, because I know that there's probably some people here who are feeling a little bit tired, maybe weary and well-doing. I believe today, <clears throat> I believe today that the God of hope is here. It's a scripture that carried me through last year. It's, it's in Romans, I think it's five, but <clears throat> I can almost quote it. And now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a whole mouthful. But basically it says this. Our hope comes from God because he's a God of hope. He's a God who gave hope to Daniel before he needed it. He's a God of hope who gave hope to his people. I'm telling you, Vineyard Northwest, you guys are set up for the greatest days ahead because your face has been set toward the rebuilding of the body of Christ, toward the rebuilding of the church. I know the plan that I have for you, says the Lord. And one of the things I was praying about this for you guys, I really feel like where this fits is I really feel like there's been around the younger generation a real challenge of how to re-engage them and I just feel like the Lord is saying, oh, you know the plan that I have for you, says the Lord. I'm gonna rebuild something in the younger generation. And I feel like there, by this fall and into the end of this year, there's an outpouring coming over the young people, the young adults of this church that's gonna re-engage them back with the house of God. And I feel like there's been a disruption in certain people. I see a beautiful crowd here, very engaged, but I feel like the Lord is saying, don't, don't you wait till you see what I have planned for your children. Some of you, the shutdown disconnected them, the disruption disconnected them. I'm about to bring back into the house of God the youth and the young adults in a powerful way, and there's gonna be an outpouring of his spirit. Don't become weary in well-doing. 
Don't become weary in well-doing. So if you're here today and you have felt like you've been to that place where you want to point to the injustice or you've been to the place where you feel like things have been disrupted or delayed and you may be a little tired and you just need the energy to push, I just want you to raise your hand and I'm going to pray for you. So Father, I thank you for each person represented here. I thank you that you are the God of hope and that you will fill them with joy and peace as they trust in you. I thank you that the journey is a healing journey. I thank you that the journey is an energizing journey. And I thank you that as we keep our window open toward the promise and we worship God, that you do things that are exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think. And I pray right now, Father, I pray for restoration. I pray for healing. I pray, God, that you would shift us into the fullness of our time because there are things that should have happened that didn't happen. There are things that should not have happened that did happen, but you are the God who changes times and seasons. And I thank you for this church because this is your fullness of time. I feel like this has to do, even I feel like the Lord says, watch what I do in the discipleship um, movement. And there were things that you guys have planned even for like schools of ministry and schools of training that you had taken some time of preparation, but when the shutdown happened, they got put on the shelf. But I feel like the Lord is saying, I'm gonna move forward the plans of preparation and training and discipleship, and you're gonna see it even exponentially increase for even some of the things in the nations that's going on is, is about to connect with what's going on here. And God is going to raise this up, not just as a house of prayer, but a house of training and discipleship, and you're gonna make disciples of all nations, just as Jesus said. So there's an anointing to disciple nations that's gonna come out of this place in Jesus' name. And God, I thank you for the energy now to push, pray until something happens, and you will release your fullness of time in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen.